It is a weird thing. Um, I haven't been here since the third week of October, so I have a little bit of that sense of what happens when people have been, for some reason, needed to stay away for a while, and then you kind of go, wonder, wonder what it's going to be like trying to go back. And uh, so I feel that awkwardness, but it's a, it's a joy to be here, and you are a sight for my sore eyes. <laughs> yes, thank you. I want to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 12. And today we come to the final chapter of this most fascinating book, right? There are chapters of Daniel that are so clear and compelling enough that they capture the imagination of children. And that's why we sing Dare to be a Daniel as kids. And there are chapters also that are so mysterious and so perplexing that even the most brilliant scholars find themselves in very, very deep waters. But as we wrap up this series of sermons that we have entitled Kings and Kingdoms, my goal today is simply to answer this question. What do we do with this? How is this sometimes simple, sometimes strange book supposed to function in my life. And perhaps you'll be encouraged to know that Daniel himself asked the same question. And perhaps even more encouraging, the Lord himself has supplied an answer. So I want to invite you as we look at Daniel chapter 12. um, It is our custom as an expression of reverence of regard, um, honor, and desire to be fully attentive to the Lord, um, that if you're physically able, would you please stand with me and follow along as I read Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, 
who was above the waters of the stream, he, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is God's Word. It's intended for your faith and for your joy, for your perseverance in hope. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to the end now of our giving particular attention together as a, as a spiritual community to this remarkable book, we acknowledge your wisdom, we acknowledge your greatness, your highness, your supremacy, your ways are beyond our ways. It, there is a, there's a wonder to you, there's a beauty to you, there's a strangeness to you, there is a glory to you that is so far beyond our capacity. We're asking you to enlarge our capacity. To see and sense and experience affections for you that are so fitting, so appropriate to who you are, all that you are. We're asking for wisdom for these times that we live in. We're asking you to show us what do we do with this book. We're asking you to sustain our faith in troubling times. We're looking to you, Lord, for the satisfaction of our souls and peace, peace that passes understanding. And so we welcome you, Lord, to, to just accomplish your purposes, even among us and for us in the, these moments that we have together. We ask these things for your glory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. few years ago, um, Laurie and I had been visiting some friends in the Twin Cities, and um, as we prepared to drive back to Sioux Falls on a Sunday afternoon in February, we paused 
since the weather forecast was for a, a significant winter storm, we, we could stay put, but um, given the severity of the forecast, it seemed we'd be potentially stuck in Minnesota for two, three days. If we chose to, to head back, however, we would most certainly be heading into some very heavy snow. And so I went online and uh, checked the Minnesota Department of Transportation. They got this helpful website and with helpful things like, like this. I mean, here, here's what it said. Driving conditions in southwest Minnesota. That's where we're heading, right? Driving conditions in southwest Minnesota. Challenging. <laughs> challenging. Yeah? So in my thought process... Um, at that point, you know, if a storm is really severe, you know, it's, it's terrible, then and driving conditions are not recommended, they would say so. The Department of Transportation would plainly say, don't drive. Or they, they, it would say, roads are closed. That's what happens when it's really, really bad. So in my mind, challenging? <laughs> we can do challenging. And off we went. And, and it wasn't more than about 30 minutes out of the southern suburbs that we met snow. And uh, it got heavier and windier, and eventually, I mean, we are creeping along the freeway at no more than about 20 miles an hour, and there were, there were long stretches on I-90 where I could not see the hood of the car. Um, just one of these white knuckle things. And uh, every so often, I, you know, I'd see some real dim lights off to the side in the ditch over there and every, some dim lights in the ditch over there. And I, let's just say it was challenging. And, and I was, I mean, I was re really ready to tap out. You know, I'd get off the road, hunker down in some hotel, anything to get out of this. Um, but I couldn't even see the exit signs. I could not see the off-ramps. And so it ended up taking just short of six hours to get home. But we made it home. And my, my neck muscles were so tight. I mean, I looked like a robot for the next week. You know, I just couldn't even hardly move. And When we know that what before us is challenging... What do we do? What do you do when the forecast for the future is certainly challenging? The roads might not be closed, but you know it's going to be a hard trip. Daniel chapter 12 opens with these rather ominous words. Verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never, such as never has been, uh, been since there was a nation until that time. So, since chapter 7, the author of the book of Daniel has had us on the edge of our seats with visions and forecasts, if you will, of the future. Years, decades, sometimes centuries into the future. Much of this forecast has been, shall we say, challenging, brutal kings uh, and kingdoms rising and falling, persecution, 
for God's people. And, and really, though, you know, we, we can logically and instinctively generate some sensible response to those things, up to now, there has been no practical instruction as to what to do. But in Daniel chapter 12, two questions are raised. In verse 6, some brave soul who will remain anonymous dares to ask, beginning in verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked and behold... Two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? How long is this storm going to last? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, swore by him who lives forever that it would be, ready now? It would be for a time, times, and half a time. Totally clears things up. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And then there's this great statement from Daniel. I heard, but I did not understand. I am right there with you, bro. It's like, so Daniel asks for clarification in verse 8. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. Says it again in verse 13. Go your way till the end. There's our practical instruction. When the forecast is foreboding, when the future holds mysteries, challenges, troubles like we have never seen before, what do we do? Go your way. Go your way. Go the way you've been going. Carry on. Do the next right thing. It's not like some new revelation of what you're supposed to do. Just keep doing what you've been doing. And do it until the end. One of the reasons that we as elders felt compelled to preach our way through Daniel at this point in time was we recognized the trajectory of our social, cultural situation was, has been unraveling, for lack of a better term. The, the popular vote in the most recent presidential election would seem to confirm that the polarization over conservative versus liberal values has, it has split our nation almost exactly in half. We are a 50-50 people. And as the trajectory has also made clear, any group like us 
that claims to have access to an infallible word of God that dictates human identity, that defines moral right and wrong, is a manifest threat. Biblical ethics to the culture that we live in is understood as hate speech and is dangerous. And this storm has been building for quite some time. A storm that... uh, is going to be more and more challenging. And so as we prayed about what to preach on this fall, this past fall, we felt like we needed to say to you, better get ready. Get ready to be marginalized. Get ready for some measure of persecution. The front of this storm is getting closer and closer. But, but how? how? How do we get ready? What are we to do? Do we, do we hunker down, wait it out until the storm passes? How long is that going to be? How serious is it going to get? And the Lord's word to Daniel, I believe, is quite instructive. Loved ones, go your way. Go your way. Keep going till the end. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What did it mean for Daniel? What does it mean for us? And in order to answer that question, I, I think it's helpful just to start by reminding ourselves of the kind of man Daniel was. I mean, st- just start with his longevity. At the time of the exile, when the Babylonian armies crushed Judah and hauled people off away. Um, Daniel was likely in his teens. Daniel chapter 1 verse 4 refers to him as a youth. And, and, and then if he lives, as the text says, into the reign of Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, who, who in the first year of his reign decreed that the Jews could return back, to Jerusalem from the exile, that is 70 years. So you've got a teenager who's lived 70 years, and then according to Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, at least another three years have passed. So we're talking about a man who is living and still walking with God in his 90s. Now, what makes a 90-something-year-old man even more amazing than just being 90, (laughs) is all that Daniel endured. Think of the incredible transitions he lived through. As a teenager, he is forcibly taken from his home, forcibly taken from his family, forcibly taken from his country by the Babylonian killing machine, He is relocated to a foreign country with foreign language, foreign cultural norms and values and customs and food and religion. Think about this. He endured similar transitions two more times. Though he was not necessarily relocated, he lived through the fall of the Chaldean Empire to the Medes. He later lived through the fall of the Medes to the Persians. As a student of transition, I look at that and I just go, 
This is mind-boggling. Any transition is difficult. Losing a job can feel unsettling. For, for me, moving from house to house is like a near-death experience. I mean, you move from state to state, it is incredibly disruptive. Loss of or separation from dearly loved family members or just becoming an empty nester. It can be oh so painful and disequilibrating. And I try to imagine what it's like for those in you know, our local immigrant population to endure being relocated from their home countries, not by their own choice, to resettle in a land and a climate and a culture where language and laws are different and make no sense whatsoever. And Daniel experienced some measure of that kind of massive personal upheaval, not once, not twice, but three times. And on top of this, th these transitions were clearly attended with enormous trauma. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you dare to discover what kind of psychopath Nebuchadnezzar really was, just read the last 15 to 20 chapters of the book of Jeremiah. Or read the book of Lamentations. When Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, he burned their cities, and he burned people's houses down, and he slaughtered families, and he murdered babies and pregnant women and made their fathers watch, and he put out people's eyes and he humiliated them by parading them in the streets for the horror of others to look at. And then Darius the Mede, well, he was no lamb himself. He murdered Belshazzar and literally, and literally fed those who resisted him to lions. Now that, now that makes a cool Sunday school story, but you can be quite certain that to be torn to pieces and eaten slowly by a wild animal was an unimaginably horrific way to die. And Daniel happened to be one who was forced to face that nightmarish reality. Loved ones, Daniel survived nearly 80 of his 90-something years as a cultural, social, political, religious outsider. His spiritual values, his moral convictions were perceived as hostile to the times and to the situations in which he lived. Listen, Daniel did not merely survive. He thrived. His resilience is astonishing. And he experienced astonishing favor. He, he is entrusted with remarkable influence in relation to some of the most wicked, brutal, morally bankrupt leaders to ever roam the face of the earth. Now you might think, well, he's 90-something. 
least he doesn't have to worry about being unemployed or he doesn't have to worry about whether or not the radical left is going to win over the moderates in the Democratic Party. His hardest days are behind him. <laughs> you might think that. Unless you're in your 80s or 90s. Aging does not make life easier. The challenges don't get less. They get different. And with more challenges, greater challenges, trouble such as never has been still on the horizon, what message does God send to sustain the enduring faith of an old man? God says to Daniel, go your way. Go the way you've been going until the end. It's clear to me that to go your way is not the same as going your own way. We never get the impression that Daniel endured 70 plus years weathering storm after national, social, cultural, political storm after storm through self-definition. Troubles are coming, Daniel. Just be yourself, your true self. <laughs> there, are, there are people with influence who want to feed you to lions, but hey, you can decide for yourself what's right and wrong. No, it didn't work that way. I am convinced that when the Lord tells Daniel, go your way, it means keep going the way that you have been going for the last 70, 80 years. Keep doing what you've done that has sustained you. And let's be clear, what sustained Daniel all those years was something far deeper and more durable than diet. God is not saying, hey, Daniel, just stay with that vegan thing you've had going since high school. world is going to come to an end, but look, you'll live for 150 years. No, no, it's not that. What is it? In what sense is Daniel to go his way? And what is the way that Daniel has gone up till now? and that God would have him continue to go until the very end. And how might we be sure that we're going that way? I want to suggest a few things. And the first is this. In a world of trouble, in a world full of trouble, it is essential to first and foremost find my refuge in the providence of God. I believe that was foundational to Daniel's staying power in a world that was hostile to his faith. We, we believe, uh, I think, most of us, at least we communicate that here regularly, that the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God. That is, God has the right, he has the ability to do all that he wills. And, and that doctrine changes a lot. That's a huge starting point. I mean, just listen to how it changed Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him 
who lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he does, this is the sovereignty of God, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The idea of God's providence goes further. It includes the conviction that a Christian is never, ever in the grip of just blind forces such as chance or fate or luck as it would be. All that happens to them is divinely planned, in accordance with the eternal love and care and intentionality of our Heavenly Father. A friend of ours writes, God has revealed His purposeful sovereignty. I think that's another way of saying providence. God has revealed His purposeful sovereignty over good and evil. This is powerful in order to humble human pride, intensify human worship, shatter human hopelessness, and put ballast in the battered boat of human faith, steel in the spine of human courage, gladness in the groans of affliction, and love in the heart that sees no way forward. I think that pretty well sums up the effect of the doctrine of God's providence in the personal life and well-being of Daniel. How else can we explain the ways of God in in raising up a madman like Nebuchadnezzar in order to punish the people of Judah for their sins and then relocate Daniel to proclaim the glory of God's supremacy and grace for the saving faith of Nebuchadnezzar? That's, I think the kind of wonder that we are left with that that Paul talks about in Romans 11, 33 to 36. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? I mean, who would have said to God, you know, this is the way you ought to do it with Nebuchadnezzar, or Babylon, or Judah? (laughs) Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him, and through him, and to him are all things? To him be glory forever. John Piper writes, God is vastly greater, and stranger, and more glorious, and more dreadful, and more loving than we can realize. Immersing ourselves in the ocean of His providence is meant to help us know Him, fear Him, trust Him, and love Him as we ought. Loved ones, that is what Daniel had been doing since his childhood. Apparently, immersing himself in the ocean of God's providence, reading it, meditating on it, contemplating it, praying it, and when trouble came, finding refuge in it. 
It was the truth that sustained him for over 90 years of trouble. It sustained him as a teen when he was taken from his home. It sustained him as a young man under a wicked politician's administration. It sustained him as he faced the prospect of death for the sake of his spiritual convictions. And finding refuge in God's providence is what will tether us into hope, no matter how dark our days may become. Secondly, I believe that going Daniel's way means that I'm growing in wisdom and discretion. Daniel had a reputation, whatever circle it was, whatever cultural group, under whichever geopolitical situation he was granted authority, for first and foremost, his wisdom. And the wisdom he possessed was not simply the result of, you know, the school of hard knocks. It was from God. And we know it was from God because he had it from the time he was just a youth, according to Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, which says, in every matter of wisdom, every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired, Nebuchadnezzar found them, including Daniel, ten times better than the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. You see, it was wisdom that served Daniel well in the storm of troubling times. It's what, it was wisdom that set him apart throughout his remarkable life. He was obviously sharp, gifted intellectually, knew a lot of stuff. And he was clearly, <laughs> you know, he, he was courageous and he was uncompromising in his spiritual devotion. But it's not, it wasn't that that made him indispensable in this world that was so hostile to his moral and spiritual values. What made him indispensable was wisdom. Daniel chapter 12 verse 10 says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. The wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. As the uh, COVID pandemic has proven, there are plenty of experts in the world, but wisdom is rare. Edward Wilson writes, we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. So, come what may, we don't, we don't know how long the storm's going to last. We don't know how bad the storm is going to be. We're just trying to decide, you know, should we try to make it home? <laughs> what do we do? Well, one thing we do is keep growing in wisdom. 
Just keep doing that. Keep pursuing wisdom. Go that way until the end. Because, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, there's a great promise. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Third, going forward in troubling times means I am submitting to the authority of the Word of God. Daniel endured, Daniel prospered in a dark world because of wisdom, but that wisdom was a gift from God cultivated throughout a life of yielding, bending the knee to the authority of the infallible and authoritative Word of God. Where did did the conviction come from that he should not defile himself with the king's food? The Scriptures. Where did Daniel learn that there is a God in the heavens who reveals mysteries? The Scriptures. Where did Daniel learn to pray? How is he familiar with Jeremiah's prophecy? Scriptures. Loved ones, as the times are increasingly challenging, we need food that this world knows not of. And so will the world. God's word is not hidden in such a way that people can't find it. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 says, You, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. In other words, God's word about the future isn't meant to be kept a secret. God's word is to be stored away safely, treasured for the sake of future generations. Daniel 12.9 says, Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. Go your way, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Going Daniel's way means bending the knee to no other authority before bending our knee to the authority of God's word. Quickly. Fourthly. Going forward in troubling times means that I remain engaged with the enemies of Christ. I think that what is tempting, what will be tempting probably in in the days, the months, it's already somewhat tempting. It'll be tempting in the years to come to kind of want to pull back and disengage relationally, kind of as a means of self-protection from those with whom we disagree. You know, the other 50%? (laughs) They're the bad ones, you know. Stand back. Uh, I'm sure you've already experienced this impulse in 2020. With people that are neighbors or friends or family. My goodness. I had a friend tell me just weeks ago, he, he's a guy with whom I, I pray. Uh, he, he told me that his son, who recently graduated from a 
major university that you would know of, his son had threatened to disown him if he discovered that his dad's perspective on social justice, Black Lives Matter, etc., etc., differed from his own. Dad, if you go in that way, I will never own you as my father again. And he meant it. And it was shocking to my friend. <laughs> how, how do you disagree with people in this world? To disagree is to risk punishment by ostracism. It's a painful thing for a family member. But you see, diversity is it's necessary for the reality of the love of God to be displayed. It doesn't require new birth to experience spiritual community and nearness with people that are easy to like. Of course all the cool people are going to like being together. Of course all the whatevers are going to like being together. But who could have imagined that in God's providential repositioning of Daniel from Judah to Babylon, that God meant it for the conversion of the man that the whole world hated. These are not times to pull away from people who feel like a threat. God is placing us right where we need to be. Daniel 12, 13 says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn away, to turn many to righteousness. That's mission. That's mission right there. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So go your way means staying on mission. Nothing new. Fifth, going forward in troubling times means I, I am actively cultivating an eternal perspective. M much of the book of Daniel is concerned with the future. And no matter how, how gnarly the beast or no matter how powerful and destructive the next kingdom, no matter how intense the persecution or trouble is on the horizon, in the end, this is, this is why... We're encouraged by Daniel, right? In the end, God wins. We win. We're on the winning team. And after we win, then there's eternity. <laughs> Look again at verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever into eternity. Sure, there were many times when, probably like when the, you know, the armies of Babylon had Jerusalem surrounded, or like when the Medes had Babylon surrounded, or when the drums of the Persian army were pounding outside the city and the battering rams were sending you know, shockwaves through the walls, or, or that night when Daniel lay in that hole in the ground in pitch darkness and every now and then there's this low... <sighs> that sent shockwaves up his spine and Daniel thought to himself, well, 
at least I'm not going to hell. At least I won't spend eternity tormented by shame. At least I won't spend eternity tormented by a heart full of contempt for myself, toward God, toward others, forever and ever and ever. Daniel lived his life strengthened to the very end by the joyful hope that forever he would shine like stars over Wolf Lake. And what a promise in verse 13. Go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Just one more and then we're going to... It's a, it's a fitting one because of today being the time that we honor the sin-atoning death of Jesus and that is, we, we find sustaining help in continuing to keep the cross forever in our sight. Though the cross of Christ is, is just barely a shadow in the book of Daniel, it is still in sight. And it is something to treasure. Verse 1. At that time, your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What time is that? What, what time is the deliverance for those whose name, names are written in the book? That's, that's the time of the cross. That's when God's people will be delivered. Jesus said, in the world... You shall have trouble, but be of good cheer. Stay the course. Go your way. Taking refuge in the providence of God. Enlarging the way of wisdom. Bending the knee to the scriptures. Remaining engaged in mission. Cultivating an eternal perspective. And purposefully treasuring Christ's sin-atoning, substitutionary death for our sins. Until the end. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. And go that way. Stay that course until the end. Let's pray. Thank you Lord that. We're not. Waiting for some new. Instruction. Some radically different. Path to take. The way forward, the way forward no matter what the future holds, is to stay to the things that are rock solid. And so we're trusting in you, that uh, you will hold us and that you will keep us. And that for those who are joined to Christ Jesus, nothing shall separate us from your love. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus, his perfect life, his sin-atoning death. We are entrusting ourselves to that Christ and that work. And uh, anticipating just the overflow of all the virtues that have been obtained because of it. Now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.